0: Welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And I gave a sermon at our church on Sunday morning, July 11th, 2021, from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. And something got screwed up on the soundboard. It was just, it was an oversight really on my part. And so it didn't get recorded. So um, I came into the studio later that day and just regave the message, but all by myself. So what you're about to hear is kind of uh, take two, but without any of the awesome people who were here in the congregation. Um, But yes, this is my message from July 11th on Hebrews 10. So lately I've been reading the book of Hebrews and when I got to chapter 10, there was something that quite frankly, made me kind of slam on the brakes. And I I wanted to share it with you before we read it though. um, One of the reasons that it made me slam on the brakes is that it, it kind of converged with something else that I've already been thinking about a lot lately, which is that I really, really want to know the real Jesus. I don't want any additives or subtractions in my version of who Jesus is. I think it's absolutely critical for all of us, especially these days, that we know, for those of us who love Jesus, who, who worship him, who are trying to figure out what it means to, to know and to walk with him, that we know I don't have something that that culture has, has changed. I don't have it in the... the you know, Jesus made in our image or anything like that. I don't have anybody manipulating the story. I am thinking about, I am seeking, I am walking with the real Jesus, what what he's really like, what he really cares about, what he, how he really sees me. And the thing that I noticed in Hebrews chapter 10 about the real Jesus is that Jesus' memory ain't what it used to be. Of course, that's kind of a cheeky way of saying it. It's not really the case. It's not that his memory ain't what it used to be. It's, I guess a better way to say it would be to say that his memory isn't what I thought it was. The truth is that my memory ain't what it used to be. I'm Now that I'm in my forties, this thing happens where like, I'll notice um I'll start telling a story at the house and I'll notice all you know all my kids and Christy they'll start looking at each other with this look on their face like uh-oh here he goes again like and, and I'm like no 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 I can't have, I can't have told y'all this story already and they're like oh yeah you want us to finish it for you because this is like our third trip around this little tale and I'm like oh dang I mean my memory really It's it's not what it used to be. I have to set these reminders in my phones every time I make an appointment because otherwise I will just drop an appointment. It's not the person doesn't mean anything to me. It's just that I literally, I'm just not remembering the way I used to, or, or the other thing that'll happen is I'll double book. So I'm, I've got a phone filled with little Siri reminders of who I'm meeting with and when and who I need to call and this little deliverable that I need to do because my memory ain't what it used to be, except in in one respect, which is if you like hurt me or offend me in some way, then, oh boy, my mind is a steel trap. And I think that if you're being honest, you're probably the same way. Um, and I think the thing that I'm realizing, the thing I realized in Hebrews 10 is the reason it made me slam on the brakes so much is that down deep inside myself, I think the truth is that I believe that Jesus's memory is like my memory that he probably is slipping on some of the things that I want some credit for, but his mind's like a steel trap. If I mess up, if I put a toe out of line, if I am a jerk to somebody, then I, my perception of him is that he's holding on to all of that. I, I don't know if you have had somebody in your life I'm sure the answer is yes, because I do not think I'm the only one that's like this. But have you had somebody in your life who, like, you messed up something once, or you did something embarrassing, or you really, really did something bad, and you got this one person in your life who they will not let it go. They just will not move past that thing. You got that person, right? When I was a sophomore in high school, I played JV football, and we had this chemistry teacher, who he like? He came down from a big city and to be a, a teacher in you know in in East Tennessee. He only lasted for a year and then he went right back to this big corporate job he was doing. Um, he didn't like us. We didn't like him. But he was the statistician for our football team. He kept the stats. How many people, like how many yards the running back got, how many passes the quarterback completed, who got how many tackles, all that stuff. And he would carry this clipboard around at the end of the game and, you know, kind of tell people what their what their stats were. Well, I was a receiver, which for some reason I I guess they like they tactically decided that it would really throw the other team off if they if they just placed the slowest receiver of all time. Like The, the defense was just really not going to be able to cope with that somehow. But I was a receiver and they called up a, a pass play that was going to come to me. That's the way they drew it up. And the play goes off. I go out on this, this pass route, the quarterback, uh, rolls out. He throws this pass perfectly to my hands. They're coming right. The ball's coming right to my hands. And I don't know what to tell you guys. Like, I just, I just bricked it. I just, I just dropped it, which was an awful experience for me. But, um, but this really, the really sucky thing about this was that at the end of the game, this chemistry teacher of mine, I, I, I was a student in his sophomore you know chemistry class he came up to me with his stupid little clipboard with the stats and he was like hey you know what your stats were zero receptions and i'm like thanks i know i dropped it thank you for reminding me that i dropped it it's like if you have a relationship with a person who who does that to you who reminds you of those moments and by the way the, the JV games were on Monday nights, so I knew that on Tuesday morning, I was going to have to roll up in this dude's chemistry class and see him. I go in there, and the first thing he says to me is like, hey, nice hands. And I'm like, really? That's what we're doing? You're going to, right off the bat, remind me of this horrible moment. I kid you not. He talked to me about that drop pass every day. I hated going in that guy's class. I kind of hated that guy. Look, if you've got somebody in your life who constantly remembers and reminds you of the worst moments in your life, you're not going to want to have a relationship with that person. And that's why it's so critical. That as I seek to know and walk with Jesus, it's got to be the real Jesus. And I've got to figure out what his memories really like. Because if his memory is like my memory, I'm not going to go to him. I'm not going to seek him out for comfort or wisdom or advice or help. I'm going to avoid him. And I think that some of us, if we're really honest... Some of us, our prayer life is not really what we think it should be or what we maybe want it to be, because we think that Jesus is like this. We think his memory is like that. We think that he's holding on to all the bad stuff. And as a result, we think, I'm not worthy to go hang out with him. I don't belong in that room. I shouldn't be there because he's probably mad at me. He's probably frustrated. It makes us shy around Jesus. It makes us have this attitude of like, what do I have to do to get myself to the place where it's okay for me to be there, where it's okay for me to talk to him? What would I have to do to outweigh the bad things that he surely remembers? I mean, he knows everything. And not only does he know everything, he actually knows like the motives behind all the things that I do, which is worse. I don't even know all the motives. I mean, he knows it all. What would I have to do to get to the place where I could feel like I am enough and the Lord and I are all right. So that little mentality right there of what do I need to do to get to the place where I can know I'm enough and the Lord and I are all right. That mentality before Jesus came, that was the whole show. That was the whole thing about what it meant to know God. They actually had a really detailed system of rules that you could keep and live by so that you could know I am enough and God and I are all right. They, they actually wrote them all down. They called it the law. These are the rules. This is the law. It was like how to uh, like what you could eat and what you couldn't, what you could say and what you couldn't, how to how to be in relationships, how to dress. I mean, yes, all the way down to all that kind of stuff. Super, super detailed things what you could do with different days, how you could celebrate certain holidays, all of that stuff, lots and lots of rules. And you're thinking, well, nobody's perfect. So how could you ever feel like I'm, I'm, I'm enough and God and I are okay. Well, they didn't just have rules. They also had rituals. They had these sacrifices you could perform. Like you could take an animal and it could die in your place. Like it was representing you if you messed up one of the rules. So then if you completed the ritual, then it's almost as if you had kept the rules. So then this whole system of rules and rituals, and if you do it all right, then then I'm enough and, and God and I are all right. So a system like this. It seems like it would be really good for people who are, you know, super competitive people, people who, you know, like I'll do anything. Like I'll do everything that it takes to get there. Just those super competitive people or or super consistent people. Like I'll always show up. I'll always be on time. I'll always be there doing the thing routine. You can always depend on me or those super comparative people. Like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do it better than that person over there. It's the people who want it, the people who work it, the people who win it. A system like that seems like it would be super great for them. You know, and somebody hearing this might say, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know about all that. That's, that's the old system. That's the old covenant, And to use the Bible's word for it. We're not in that anymore. We're in the new thing. We're in the new system, the new covenant. And my word for, to that person who's thinking that would be like, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, but 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 really? Are we really not in that old system anymore?" I mean, come on, y'all. Come on. We still got that We've still got all the comparative stuff. We've still got all the competition. We've still got all kinds of rules for this is how you're supposed to raise your kids. And look, whether or not you want to be in it, you're in the Parenting Olympics. You may not have signed up for it. You, may, you might feel like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to be a part of, of these games and, and carry this flag and represent this land. And, and, but look, you got kids, you're wearing that windbreaker with your country's colors. That's just the way it is. You're part of the Parenting Olympics now. And there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And how are you doing on the Parenting Olympics? There's, you know, how many Bible studies and small groups are you in? How, what to listen to? What to watch? Who to vote for? We've still got all these things. And it may seem like it would be great for the, the super competitive and, and consistent and comparative people. But I'll tell you what, the truth is, is that all of us feel like we're losing. And anybody that's listening to this that's honest would say, Yup. There's so many times where I don't know if I'm enough. And I don't know if God and I are all right. And every time I screw up, I feel shy towards God. I feel timid towards him. I feel like, you know what? I'll just talk to him later. I'll just talk to him in a couple of days. I'll just talk to him after the, the shame of what I've done is kind of worn off and, and the emotions are okay. I just don't feel like I belong in there. Well, I want to show you something. This is, this is Hebrews chapter 10. This is, this is the stuff that made me slam on the brakes. Hebrews 10 says, the law, which is that system of rules and and rituals, which (laughs) we still very much have our own system. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it could never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, and they would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Bam! There it is. That system, that system that was supposed to tell me I'm enough and God and I are all right. What the author of Hebrews tells us is, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Those rituals never worked. And it says if it had worked, then, then those people wouldn't have felt guilty for their sins. But they do. They do still feel shy and in trouble around God. They do still put themselves in the penalty box when it comes to the, their relationship with God. And then it says this, because those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. In other words, the system never worked. You are not enough and don't you forget it. It's an annual reminder. It's the long memory of the law. You're not enough. It didn't work. And don't you forget it. Gosh. And that's where so many of us live our lives because we think Jesus's memory is just like ours. Well, check this out. This is where it keeps going. Okay, so it's impossible for the blood of bulls and ghosts to take away sins. Verse five, Hebrews 10 says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Down in verse seven, he says, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. What does that mean? It means that when almighty God, the son put on a human body, became a human being, he laid that body down as a sacrifice, like the old sacrifices, but this one was different because he was almighty God laying down that body in a perfect sacrifice that happened once for all. Check this out. Down in verse 10, it says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Look at what verse 12 says. But when this priest and when he says priest, he's talking about Jesus here, had offered for, for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Look at verse 14. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I mean, I do not have the guts to make stuff like that up. And then down in verse 17, the writer of Hebrews starts quoting Jeremiah chapter 31, where it says, then he adds, "...their sins and lawless acts..." I will remember no more. Okay, I I just want to hit pause here and ask you if we can just go back and put some of that, all that back together. The old system, which we still very much live under when we get Jesus's memory wrong, when we don't have the real Jesus figured out, the old system basically wound up telling us, hey, this never worked. You are not enough. And don't you forget it. It's being in that relationship that remembers all your wrong stuff and keeps telling you over and over and over again, you don't want to be in a relationship with, like, with a person like that. You're not going to draw near. You're not going to feel comfortable. You can never relax with a person like that, with a memory like that. But Jesus said, I have come with a body to lay it down for you so that you can have a different kind of forgiveness and he laid it down once for all. You know what that once for all means? It means it worked. He didn't have to repeat it because it worked. All of our wrong, my wrong and your wrong, completely and totally forgiven. Everything we've ever done, everything we do, everything that we ever will do, say, think that's out of bounds, it's all gone. He got—he was sacrificed once for all. Not only that, Down in verse 14, it says, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In other words, it's not just that you're enough. You're way more than enough. Apparently, you're made perfect forever. I mean, I'm even nervous saying that because I would never make that up. I would never feel like I could go that far, but I didn't make it up. This is the holy scriptures saying that. Once for all, it worked, made perfect forever. You're more than enough. And then quoting Jeremiah 31, your sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. Can you imagine? I know this is the Bible, so technically we're supposed to say that we believe this and everything. But can you imagine what it would be like? to actually believe this, like to believe this down in your bones, down in your guts, that, that Jesus really doesn't remember any of your wrong, which I don't even know how that works. He's the omniscient, all-knowing, almighty God. He knows everything. He knows the motives, all of it, except in this sense, he says, except your wrong stuff. I know everything about you down to your core, except, oh yeah, your wrong stuff. Yeah, I've totally forgotten all that. Can you imagine what you would be like if you really believed that? That every time you turned your heart to Jesus, like, not just like a formal prayer time or something like that, but if you just in the middle of your day, even in the middle of a conversation with someone else, you just kind of flit and turn your heart towards Jesus. What if you really believed that for him, your heart was brand new? There was never anything wrong in it. Um, Apologies to cat owners, but I think that the way that most of us think is that, that Jesus is kind of like when a cat owner comes home and you open the front door and your cat sees you and they give you that look like, oh, great, you're here again, whatever. I mean, I was totally having a much better time before you walked up in here, but yeah, I, sure, I guess, come on in. That, that most of us probably think that's the way Jesus feels whenever we roll up in, in, to, to hang out with him. But the truth is so much different than that. The truth is like that he feels the way like your dog feels about you when you get home, which when you walk in and your dog sees you, your dog's like, oh boy, you're back. Yes, I can't believe it. You're back. I was hoping you would show up and you're here. Tails wagging. They're jumping. They can barely control their excitement. That Jesus's heart towards you is that because the real Jesus, his memory is not what you've always thought it was. He doesn't have an annual reminder of sins. He's not like that. He's forgotten it all. Really, really, actually, you know, if you really believed that you'd want to hang out with him all the time. If I really believed that I'd want to turn my heart to him all the time in every situation for advice, for help, just to be together. And that's what he wants. You know, I did this thing a couple of weeks ago that it just brought me so much peace. Uh, I'm I'm sure this happens to you, but you know how, like, every company that you've ever had any dealings with, like, sends you, like, 37 emails a day for no reason? Like, just to remind—oh, we just want to remind you we have a new deal going on. I don't care Like I went to your store like seven years ago, like what? And and as a result, I've got an email inbox full of emails. You know, my, my phone is like my alarm clock. So my alarm clock goes off. I wake up in the morning, I'm bleary eyed, I'm struggling and everything. And the very first thing I do in my day is I'm, I'm like archiving and deleting 27 emails that I received during the night. I don't want my day to start out thinking about, you know, old Navy and the home Depot and all that kind of, Look, I don't care. Like I, I'll get emails from, from Marshall's and it's like, I don't go to Marshall. I can't remember the last time I went to the Marshall's. I feel like Marshall's, like I was, like I was driving by and somehow they smelled my email address out of the car and now they're spamming me 15 times a week. I don't want it. So I started, I decided a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to systematically go through every email, unwanted email, and I'm going to unsubscribe. And I just haven't done it because there's so many of them and it's so annoying. You know, like you you have to scroll down to the bottom, you have to zoom in, you have to find that unsubscribe button, you click it, they send you a, to a totally different website where you got to zoom in on more stuff and you got to make sure you click all the buttons correctly, make sure they spelled your email address right. And then when you finally unsubscribe, they send you a, to another website where then they they like try to get you to not break up with them. And they're just like, Hey, look, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. I, look, I look, I, I promise I'll do better. I, I know. I know I come on a little strong. Um, so how about if I just send you like one email a, a month? Oh, okay. Uh, one, a quarter. No, no, no. I promise. I, we, we really will try. We're going to miss you. I, we're going to miss you. And I'm like, no, don't talk to me like that. You're a robot. Unsubscribe Marshalls. Um, like P.F. Chang's. I, I don't even like your food. I only went to you because somebody gave me a gift card. Unsubscribe. Like Southern Living. And by the way, when I find out who sent my email address to Southern Living, I, I, I live in the South. Why? I've never even read Southern Living. Why do I get emailed by you? Unsubscribe. Like Academy Sports. I'm already married. St- stop. Stop trying. The answer is no. Unsubscribe. I don't need this. I don't want it. It no longer applies to me. Unsubscribe. Here's the thing. I think some of us, some of us are carrying around old failures and old condemnations and old wrongs, like a big, heavy backpack weighing us down. And we need to say to those things, I don't need this. I don't want it it no longer applies to me. Unsubscribe. I need to really believe in the real memory of the real Jesus. It's going to make me turn to him more. I need to unsubscribe from the old failings and condemnations that I'm carrying around. And I'll tell you one practical way to think about that this week is the next time you really step in it, the next time you really go off and you're, you're a jerk, you're out of line, that you, or you really commit like a whopper, as my friend Tom would say, in that moment, don't put yourself in the penalty box. Don't put yourself in timeout. Go straight to Jesus. Go straight to Jesus and as much as you can muster up the belief for it, ask him to help you with it, believe that when you show up on his doorstep, when you turn your heart to him, he is so excited to see you. He is not frustrated with you. He is not filled with contempt for you. He is not uh, upset. He feels like you belong there. That with a light heart, you could go straight to Jesus even after you commit a whopper. Let's start to believe in the the real memory of the real Jesus. I think it's going to make us want to be around him more and more.